This passage in Matthew 25 is about the King coming finally in glory. And when we come to uh, Palm Sunday, we're celebrating, in a way, the King who's coming. And during His last week of His life, Jesus is teaching His disciples about not His first coming. His first coming was a coming in humiliation. But His final coming, His coming as the King. The King in glory. And so this, during this story that Jesus tells about His final coming, is... uh, a a story of his coming as the king. And this passage in Matthew 25 is loved by many people. It's loved by social justice warriors because this is a passage that talks about justice for the vulnerable and the oppressed. This is in some ways also a passage that's loved by, you know, the the so-called hellfire brimstone preachers because it talks about judgment against all unrighteousness. There's one person that I think really gets the tone and the heart of this passage. And it's Juan Luis Guerra in his song, Caballo Blanco, which is a Nueva Bachata song. You may be surprised. But he's singing about the king who is coming in all of his glory. And for those of us who are Christians, when the king comes in his glory, it will be a celebration. His glory will be a celebration and we will not be able to help but dancing, those of us who trust in him. And this is as, uh, as the lyrics of Guerra's song, uh, Caballo Blanco, I'll share it in Spanish and then translate it into English for those of you. He says, Viene el Rey, Jesús en toda majestad, se abre los cielos y todo ojo le verá y viene, viene en las nubes poderoso y... Y santo mandando en un caballo blanco. Viene el rey Jesús en toda majestad. Se abre los cielos y todo ojo le verá y viene. Y la tema de la canción es el que ha venir vendrá. To translate it, he says in his song, King Jesus will come in all his majesty. The heavens will open. All eyes will see him. He will come on the clouds powerful and holy, mounted on a white horse. And the theme of that song is in the next line. He says, He who has come will come. And it will be a dance. And so we're going to be looking at this glorious celebratory coming of the king. We'll be looking at it from the king coming, the king's exaltation, uh, the king's humiliation, the king's servants and enemies, and the king's grace. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for you to speak to us by your spirit. Open our eyes to see, to have faith in you who are coming. Coming on the clouds of glory. Give us these eyes, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we see that Jesus talks about in this passage in Matthew 25 is his exaltation. You look at verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is what that song is talking about. Viene el Rey Jesús en toda majestad. He's coming in all majesty. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations. Todo ojo le verá. All the eyes will see him of all the people. And he will come and he will sit on the throne as a king. See the Old Testament, this is an echo back to Zechariah that says the final day of judgment in which the Lord God, he will come and all his holy ones will come with him, the angels. This is the image that Jesus is drawing upon. And you notice the glory, he says, when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus often likes to use the term Son of Man. Now when Jesus uses the term Son of Man, he's not saying, guys, I'm the child of Joseph the carpenter. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about his glory, his sovereign power. It's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 where he says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. See, the Son of Man, the title that Jesus is talking about, is one who is coming in glory, coming in majesty that all people will come and all people will see. It is an image that he's drawing upon to saying the day when he will come in sovereign power and it will entail in his exaltation it will entail righteous judgment. We see this in the very next verse in verse 32 and verse 33. He says when he comes in his throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate peoples one from another and as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. You see, as he comes and sits on his throne, he's gathering all people and he is separating them. This is what he's doing in his judgment. He gathers all people and he separates them as well. As the king coming in glory and his exaltation, he has the authority and the power to gather all people. He subpoenas the world, so to speak making them, saying, you've got to come to court. But he also has the power and makes everybody come. There will be no hiding. There will be no evading. His justice is what he is saying. And he will separate, he says. He separates the sheep from the goats. You see, this is an act of his judgment in which he separates the righteous from the unrighteous and it will be perfectly just. All the righteous sheep, you see, will go to the right. And all the unrighteous goats uh, will go to the left where there's dishonor. You see, if we compare it to human judges, we know that even the most impartial human judges can make mistakes. Because human judges, we know they don't see all the facts. They don't see everything. They were not there, eyewitnesses to the problems that happened. But Jesus is saying all of the sheep will go to the right where there is honor and all of the the goats will go to the left where there is dishonor. He will not be fooled because he sees all things completely and his judgment will not be escaped. See, this is a heavy word from Jesus. And when he says all the nations will be gathered, he's saying all people 
whatever your race, whatever your background, whatever your culture, whatever your demographic, whatever your social standing, all people will be gathered. And there will be no wrong judgment. You see, Jesus' exalted kingship means perfect and complete judgment of all people. As we sang in the Apostles' Creed, this song in the Apostles' Creed, this is this ancient uh, statement of faith, what, we, what the Christians of all time have believed, what the Bible teaches. And in the Apostles' Creed it says that Jesus ascended to heaven and He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, which is His exalted kingship. And it says, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. Which is a, re- a reference to saying all people from all time, those who are living and those who have died. Everyone. Everyone. Those of you may want, listen to Johnny Cash. In his light, later in his life, he came to faith. Uh, and he sings in this song, almost speaking to himself. He says, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. You may throw you a rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But the Lord... uh, What does it say? But as sure as God may black and white, what's done in the darkness will be brought to the light. Jesus is saying this as plain as simply, and this is what Johnny Cash was aware of. The scriptures itself in 1 Corinthians says, It is the Lord who will judge. Never do not pronounce the judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. You see, what He is saying, what Jesus is saying when He comes to judge all people, is that everything will be brought to light. All things in the dark will be brought to the light. All injustice will be brought to the light. And even the darkness and sin in our hearts will be brought to the light. But Jesus here, when He is saying this, He is warning us ahead of time with love and compassion. You see, He is telling us these things that will happen so that we might be prepared. But we can Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I hope that you hear right now Jesus as your faithful and kind friend telling you that He says He is going to come back and to judge everyone. Now I've heard people many times say to me um, when we're talking... Well, my Jesus didn't come in judgment. My Jesus wouldn't talk like that. And in some sense, there's a little bit of truth to that. Because when Jesus did come in his first life, when he came in this world, he came not to judge the world. Because they already stood condemned and judged. He came, not in judgment in his first coming, but he says he will come back in judgment. He will come back. And so if you say, my Jesus, let your Jesus be the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, who says He is coming back, and He will bring all that is in the darkness to the light. All injustice will be made right. Or perhaps you say your Jesus is the real King, 
then remember, we have to remember that our, that Jesus, He is the one who is coming back to judge. It is not us. As that passage says, it is the Lord who judges, not me. Therefore, do not pronounce the judgment before time. You see, as His servants, we announce His exalted coming. We announce that He is going to be coming back. But it is not up to us to pronounce judgment upon anybody. You see, and it comes across in the way that we tell people. Is that if people, all they hear from us is anger and vitriol when we tell them of these things that Jesus says. It is as if we are making the pronouncements upon them ourselves. But do not make the announcement, the pronouncement before the time. Because Jesus is the one who will come and return and bring judgment upon all people. And yet, incredibly, an important part of his perfect judgment is the starting reality that he personally identifies with the vulnerable in the world. We're talking about his humiliation, the king's humiliation. See, part of his perfect judgment is that he understands the plight of the vulnerable. Look at verses 35 and verses 36. His first coming was one in humiliation. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What's he talking about? See, Jesus again is talking about his first coming in his humiliation, in his humble life. As if God being born a human was not humiliating and humbling enough. We know that as a baby, Jesus was a refugee in Egypt because Herod, King Herod, wanted to kill him. And his life ended up when he was a prisoner by Pontius Pilate. And he would die on the cross asking for a drink. He would die naked and vulnerable on a cross. You see, Jesus, he knew humiliation and weakness and vulnerability more than any of us will ever know. And this is why I think it's fascinating. He says, the king, the king said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison. Do you see how startling that is? The king says, I was naked, I was a stranger. It's because Jesus understood and experienced vulnerability and his humiliation especially when he came to the cross. This is why he says in verse 40 and 45, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Or, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You see, he is identifying in his humiliation. He's identifying with the cause of the needy. Even calling the world's poor and vulnerable his brothers. And here's a point of clarification. 
See, Jesus oftentimes, as a teacher, he speaks in hyperbole. He, makes an, he, he uses an exaggerative statement to make an emphatic point. He would say something that's non-literal to make a point. So he's saying, look, these are my brothers, these people. One of the best examples of Jesus' hyperbole of exaggeration is in Luke 14, where you have heard him say, look, if anyone would come after me, he, if anyone come to me and doesn't hate even their own children, their mother, their father, doesn't hate their own children, he cannot be my disciple. What, what's Jesus saying there in that hyperbol- hyperbolic statement? Is he saying, you know, that I should go up to my children and say, Mija, mijo, my children, I hate you. But it's only because I love Jesus. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying there? No. He is making an exaggerative statement to say, look, your love for me must be so much vaster than your love, the greatest loves of all were human relationships. See, in the same way, he is making an exaggerative hyperbole here to say, these are my brothers. He's saying that he understands the vulnerable. He understands them so deeply that he says, basically, Bro, I get what you're going through. We even grew up in the same house. He understands their situation. You see, people wrongly sometimes literalize his statement here by saying, whatever you did for my brothers, you did for me. They wrongly literalize it, literalize it in two possible ways. One, you know, people could say, just talking here about Christian poor people because he only calls Christians his brothers. I think that's not exactly right what we're saying here. Or others will say, look, if you're poor, then you're a Christian. But that's not what he's talking about. Either one, he's saying he understands vulnerability. He understands this situation so much as if to call these people his brothers. He is identifying with them so much that he's saying that you mistreat them in this world. You will be as responsible as if you have mistreated the Lord Jesus himself. See, this is in some ways an encouragement for us that Jesus, who is the king, understands weakness. That he is not, therefore, as a king, sitting afar off in a throne, passive about injustice in the world. He was treated unjustly, and he will bring about his perfect justice. He understands it. He knows about the human sex trafficking epidemic that's in El Paso, and he will bring his justice. He knows about homeless youth problems here. He knows about abortion, racism, the unfair treatment of women. He knows about the global refugee crisis. He understands vulnerability, and he will bring his perfect justice. Even we hear this week about current events in Nigeria, how Boko Haram took over 100 girls. And they finally released them, except for one girl who was a Christian and refused to convert. See, Jesus says, I know about her. I know about that situation. He says, she is my sister. What you did To her you did to me. And so this is a word of encouragement for us. But it's also a warning 
saying that we who call ourselves ourselves by his name will be as responsible will be responsible to the vulnerable we have a responsibility to them just as much as we do to Jesus because Jesus understood that he was the king who came in humiliation and he goes so far as even to say that one of the evidences that you are one of his servants and not his enemies is by your treatment, our treatment of those who are in need. And so he has, looking at the king's servants and his enemies. And if you look at the king's servants and the enemies, we see here, so to speak, he says there are two people. There are sheeps, there are sheep and the goats. And there are two destinations. See, there are no such thing as a sheep-goat hybrid. There are only two types, sheep or goats, the righteous or the unrighteous, the king's servants or his enemies. And he says in verse 34 that there are only those who are blessed and there are those who are cursed. Verse 34a, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. In verse 41, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed. And we see then that of these two, the sheep and the goats, there are only two destinations. This is what he says in verse 34. He says, for those who are blessed, those who are his sheep, he says to the righteous that there is the inheritance of the kingdom for the blessed. And verse 41, there is eternal fire for the cursed. You see, Jesus is being very clear here about his servants and his enemies as the king, about the sheep and the goats. There are only two people, the sheep or goats, righteous and unrighteous servants or enemies. And there are only two places that he says, punishment or life. And so the question The big question that we have to ask is, am I a sheep? Am I one of his righteous ones? See, Jesus does not shy away from making us to think that question. He says earlier in in Matthew, he says, you shall know them, you will recognize them by their fruit. See, this is in some ways the the most important question that we have to ask ourselves. One of the ways he's saying that we know that we are sheep, we can recognize, is by our fruit. Now what I want you to hear, what is important for you to hear, is that Jesus is not saying that the way for you to be saved is to by go and serve the homeless, is to go and work on an orphanage. That is not what he is saying here about how you will be saved. You see, as the scripture says later in James, he says, you want to show me your faith? He says, I will show you my faith by my works. Which is to say, he's saying here that this is evidence of faith. This is evidence of what Christ has done. A while ago, there was these people who would come to who 
came to John Calvin and said, look, see, you're not justified by your faith alone. You're justified basically by faith plus being a morally good person. Isn't that what this passage is talking about? This is not what he's saying. And as John Calvin so well put, he said, look, it is faith alone which justifies us. But that faith which justifies is never alone. See, it is faith alone which justifies us. This is the testimony of Scripture. But we also know that that faith which justifies is never alone. So what we're talking about here, and what Jesus is talking about here, is the evidence of a transformed heart. The evidence of King Jesus giving you a new heart and making you His people. You see, if you have received, if you have been gripped by the compassion of Christ to you in your sin, while you were an enemy, then you will show compassion to people, is what He's saying. If you have had free grace given to you and saved you when you didn't deserve it, it will create a graciousness in your heart to people who are in need. This is what he's saying. It's the evidence here, one of the evidences of what Christ has done in you. And so then we see the King's grace. See, in some ways, this passage is a heavy one. It's a heavy one. And yet I want and hope that we see the gracious heart of the king in this passage. Look at verse 34. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, this is a word right here from Jesus filled with grace. It is filled with undeserved, unearned, eternal blessing. When the world was created, the Father and the Son already had a plan to give His sheep a kingdom. He says, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the gracious heart of this passage. That the basis of the inheritance, our inheritance of the kingdom, is the past preparation of God, not our future works. You see, we received the kingdom of God because it was prepared for you, His sheep, from the foundations of the world, even though our natural course was to be His enemies, to be goats. That is God's grace. See, it is not as if He looks forward and says to us, you know, they have a potential faith and have a potential youthfulness, therefore I will make them my servants. He is not saying that. That would be saving us by our works in the future. But He says, the kingdom, He prepared it from the foundation of the world. He doesn't say, I looked to the future and I saw that you were going to be a good person that you were going to serve the poor. Therefore, I will let you into my kingdom. He doesn't say, that person was a drunkard, that person was a racist, that person was sleeping around, so I will never make them one of mine. 
He cannot say that. Because if he were to say that, then none of us would ever be receiving God's inheritance of the kingdom. The scriptures instead tell us in Ephesians 1 that we possess all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places even as the Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. See, the reason that we come into God's kingdom and are His sheep, it is because of His grace. His glorious grace. And why? Because the King prepared a kingdom for us while we were still goats. While we were still living as His enemies. He still prepared the kingdom for us. While we were an enemy, He subdued our heart as King Jesus by sending us His loving Holy Spirit to give us life. How vast and how deep and how wide is His love and grace for people who didn't deserve it. So you think about it. Why is it? Why is it then that true Christians love and care so much for the vulnerable and the oppressed in the world and the needy? Why is it that true Christians are concerned for the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the sick, the imprisoned, who will never serve you the way that you can serve them? It is because Christians understand the grace of King Jesus who prepared a kingdom for us when we didn't deserve it and we had nothing to offer Him back. He even died for us. And so for us in our Christian life, we should let the grace of King Jesus that has already been given to us, that has been prepared for us from the foundation of the world, this should be our motivation for justice in the world. That we have an inheritance. We have a kingdom that King Jesus has prepared for us. This is how we will never grow weary of doing good. Knowing the grace of King Jesus. You see, there is power and there is the power of joy and the power of peace to motivate us to do good deeds of justice. It's not fear that's going to motivate us to sustain a life of giving to the world in the world's need. When I was in seminary, I was graduating, and the keynote speaker uh, was a guy named Gary Haugen, who was the founder of the International Justice Mission, which is a very influential ministry dealing with justice issues uh, for those who are oppressed and those who are vulnerable in, in oppressive places. And he was our keynote speaker, and he said to us, do you want to live a life of justice? Do you want to live serving the poor, the needy, the vulnerable? He said, you want to do that? He said, enjoy your life. And we were like, what? What did he mean by that? He said, 
how is it that you're going to sustain in a life of giving to the needy, of sacrificing? He says it comes from a heart of joy in your life. And how do we have that joy in our life to keep giving and to keep serving the poor and the vulnerable? It is by knowing the joy in our life that we already have been loved and completely accepted by a king and that he already has an inheritance for us so we can enjoy our life right now going as his servants, serving the vulnerable. You see, as Christ said in verse 31, that he's going to come in glory. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. See, this will be ultimately a celebration, a joyous occasion for those who are His, for those who have trusted in Him as the King. And this event that He is talking about is the coronation of His kingdom. He's coming as a King. And it will be jaw-dropping, heart-wrenching, and heart-rejoicing, and we will dance. You know, in England, there's a coronation anthem whenever the king or queen of England takes the throne. And you know how British people, they always have this weird fascination about their kings and queens when they come under the throne. Um, But this anthem is called Zadok the Priest. And when this king or queen is coming to the throne, they sit on the throne, and the, the, the mood of the song, it, is, it slowly builds, and the trumpets are slowly building, and the bell toll is ringing until the anticipated moment when the crown is placed upon the king, and as the crown is placed on the king, this glorious, powerful words from this angelic choir yell out, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king. And it says, all the people rejoiced, rejoiced, rejoiced. And all the people rejoiced, rejoiced, rejoiced. And all the people rejoiced, rejoiced, rejoiced. See, this isn't about the English monarchy. This isn't even about King Solomon. It is about the coming of King Jesus. That when He comes and the, thro- and the crown is posted on His head, all the people, all of His people will rejoice, rejoice, rejoice and sing Hosanna to the King of Kings who comes in glory and grace. Let us pray. hard for us to sometimes see right now that you are the king. This week we will be reminded of how you came and how you humbled yourself by dying on the cross. But we know that you rose from the grave. You sit on the right hand of God the Father. You see injustice in the world. 
Lord, and you save us by your grace. And it is before your throne above, O Lord, that we have a strong and perfect plea. It's not our own works, Lord. But it is your eternal plan and what you did, Jesus. Because you are the King of glory. And you are the King of grace. So motivate us, dear Lord, by your grace to serve those who are in need in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.